Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. How many are looking forward to Thanksgiving this week? Show of hands. You guys love, how many love Thanksgiving more so than Christmas? Okay. Yeah, I like Thanksgiving, I think. A little bit more than Christmas, though I like Christmas. How many like Christmas? How many like Christmas better than Thanksgiving? How many would say you just like both of them, okay? You just, hey, this is a great time of the year, isn't it? As we head into the end of the year. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This is our vintage Jesus teaching series, The Jesus Most People Miss. Today we're going to answer the question, why did he die? No one is more loved or hated than Jesus Christ. And yet those who dare to look beyond the prejudices, the biases, and encounter the historical, vintage, biblical Jesus are never, ever the same. Never the same. And so as we've been talking the last couple of weeks, we've really kind of summarized the, uh, the Bible like this. I think it's on your notes there. The Bible is not so much a set of disconnected stories giving us life lessons on what we must do to be right with God. And many people read the Bible like that. It's, it's reading it wrongly. And, and there's a lot of churches that would teach it like that, and that would be the wrong way to teach it. But the Bible is more like this. It is a single story of what God has done through his son to make us right with him. It's not so much about what you must do, but what has been done for you through God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the heart of that story is the death of his son. And so the question we're answering this morning, we're asking and answering is why did he die? The answer is right there on your notes, so that we could be justified by grace through faith in him. That's pretty profound. That statement right there has the potential to revolutionize your life. It's got to be more than just something that's abstract or a concept. When it becomes a reality, it's life transforming. So we're going to unpack that statement this morning. If you have this, what we're going to talk about this morning, it's the end of your struggle for validation, worth, and acceptability. In what we're studying this morning, you will see that we have all of the acceptance, security, and significance we'll ever need to face anything in life through Jesus Christ. And so uh, we got a great text this morning, Romans 3, 21 through 28 is where we're headed. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Romans 3, 21 through 28, and you can see our notes there. Why do we need to be justified? Because that's really what we're looking at. That's why Jesus died. What does it mean to be justified? And then how do we receive this justification? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me before we dive into our text and unpack these notes? Let's pray. Father God, we we love your presence. We thank you, God, that during song and now through the study of your word, we have your presence here. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures our pleasures forevermore. And in this text that we are about to study, not only has the universal human dilemma the root cause of all of our problems, but it also has the all-sufficient divine remedy. God, you so loved us and hate sin and suffering that you were willing to come down and get involved in it and remedy it through the death of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. So may we take hold of these these truths, these verses, like a drowning person takes hold of a rescuer's arm and find all the acceptance, security, significance we'll ever need to face anything in life or death 
for your glory in our deep, durable joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text, wonderful text, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Now, verse 23 is one of those verses that oftentimes we memorize, and in this verse, we have the universal human dilemma. This is the root of all of our problems. All of your problems are symptomatic of this right here, of what he's gonna say here, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short, of the glory of God. That is the universal human dilemma. It it pretty much levels the playing field. This is the category that we are all in. This is why our planet is so messed up is because we do this and we'll talk more about this. But notice verse 24 is the all-sufficient divine remedy. It's almost breathtaking the way that Paul is unpacking this for us as we work through this text. So he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified by his grace. We know that grace is really a gift, but it's almost like he's trying to emphasize this. Grace, by his grace as a gift, just to make sure that you don't think that you have to earn grace. Grace is God's favor in our lives, nothing less than his presence, and it's a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation. I bet you used that word here recently, didn't you? Propitiation, probably have never used that word. We need to talk about what that word means, propitiation. It's a powerful word, it's a very profound word. Basically, it means that God's wrath has been averted from us to his son. It's been, it's been directed back to his son. God has taken the wrath that was meant for us by his blood to be received by faith This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. That's that's a profound understanding of, of God. He's just and also he is our justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you see this over and over again, how we receive it is through faith, by putting our faith in Jesus, by believing in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? So is it through our efforts, through our performance? No, but by the, by the law of faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let's unpack these notes. And uh, here's the first question. Why do we need to be justified? You need to know this, that justify, the word justified and righteousness, as we saw over and over again in this text, are one and the same Greek word. So those are synonymous terms. So it's important to know that as, we, as he goes back and forth between this idea of being justified and righteous. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So this righteousness, we need to understand what that means. There's a righteousness. This is an imputed righteousness to you and I. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So there's something that happens when we put our faith in Jesus 
Now, here's the universal human dilemma for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what exactly is that? What does that mean? It's more than just a breaking of rules. It's much deeper than that. It is preferring anything over God. It's, it's finding something in creation as more desirable and more satisfying than God himself. That's what that means. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You were created by God for God to give glory to God. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So the human dilemma is that I would choose to live my life for something in creation as being more important to me than than the creator. And so what that does is that it, it creates major problems in our lives. All of our problems are symptomatic of this, this issue right now, right here, right there in verse 23. A good definition would be Romans 1.25. I don't know if I've got that on your notes, but write that down next to verse 23, Romans 1.25. So what it says is that we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. So first of all, we might, maybe you're in that category of questioning whether or not there is a God, so that would be the big dilemma. You don't even know that he exists, but then maybe you, you believe that he exists, and yet you think somehow you believe the lie that he's holding out on you, that you're going to find greater satisfaction somewhere in creation as, as apart from the creator, and so you're going to do it on your own. That would be sin. Sin is, uh, is what we do when we are not satisfied in God. And uh, that's part of it. And so why do we need to be justified? Let me give you the definition for righteousness here. Righteousness, it is a performance-confirming resume that gives you all the acceptance, security, and significance you long for. So righteousness, it is a performance-confirming resume that gives you all the acceptance, security, significance you long for. For instance, you want to get a job with a particular company, you would submit a vocational resume, and on that vocational resume, it would have your, your history of job experience, different companies you worked for, and you would submit that in hopes that they would hire you. Or there's also, this would be similar to that of an academic resume. You want to get into higher learning. There might be a certain university or higher education uh, institution that you're pursuing, and they would require a resume, and they would want to see your past grades and what classes you've taken and what have you done to deserve this, to earn this, this right to be accepted by that university. Now, I know some of you are going to doubt this because my wife is such a sweetheart, but, uh, but she required of me to submit a resume to her when I was uh, courting her. No, Really? And she took mine among the hundreds of resumes that she received, and she picked mine, only to find out that I had lied on my resume. And she goes, wow, you, you're not really all that you said you were. Now, now, I understand that we don't actually submit resumes, and I, she didn't ask me to submit a resume, but almost kind of in a, not in a literal way, but... Uh, or an official way, but kind of in a non-official way. Isn't that what we do sometimes when we're kind of exploring those that we're going to marry? It's like, uh, you know, we start asking, you know, really important questions like, how long has it been since you've been out of prison? And, uh, you know, when was the last time you used any drugs? And think, well, actually, you need to have better questions than that, obviously. I mean, that Bible actually gives us sort of a resume, a, 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 a punch list of items that you look at, like, like, are you a Christian? That would be a good one. And where are you spiritually? 
as it relates to where I am. And then, oh, what about character? Do you have any character? What does that look like? And how is that lived out? And how does that lived out around my family? And how is it lived out around your family? And then what about compatibility issues? And, and what about infrastructure to relationships such as conflict resolution and, and communication skills and things like that? And so the, in, in a sort, in a, in a way, that would be somewhat of a resume. And so, so here's, here's what I'm getting at, is that it is a record that is claiming to be worthy of the position you want to be accepted in. That's, that's what righteousness is. It is a performance-confirming resume that gives you all the acceptance, security, and significance you long for. Now, next point on your notes, because that's how most of life works, so whether it's your vocation or academic or, as I stated, even in somewhat in, in a marriage relationship, uh, because that's how most of life works. We tend to believe that it is the same with God, but nothing could be further from the truth. If you were to ask most people, what is the gospel or what is Christianity about, I will guarantee you that even many Christians would answer it as, well, I, I've got I've to live a good life. They would answer it with some sort of morality, that I've got to offer God this moral resume, and then maybe he might accept me. It would be some form of moralism. If I want to have a relationship with God and go to heaven when I die, I must give him a moral resume that confirms my performance so that he will accept me. And as I stated, there, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for by grace, so that's unmerited, unearned favor, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, maybe you've memorized those two verses. Here's another verse that maybe you've memorized. Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death, but the what? The gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Take a look at the next point on your notes. But now God offers us a gift. So that's verse 21. Did you notice that? He says, but now. But now the gospel is absolutely and utterly unique. This is what separates Christianity from every major cult and religion of our world today. You hear me say that a lot, but I mean, it's just, this is what's so stunningly beautiful about the gospel. But now God offers us a gift of all the acceptance, security, significance we'll ever want or need. I don't know if you've ever had people in your, in your life, your family, but, uh, that gave you a gift and they didn't like how you were using the gift, so they wanted the gift back. Anybody ever have that experience before? Is my family, okay, there's just a few in here. Is my family the only one that does that, okay? Not everybody in my family, but I had a, uh, I had a family member. She's gone to be with the Lord, but, uh, so I can talk about her now. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, she's a sweetheart, and I won't tell you who it was, but, but she would give us these gifts, and then if she didn't like the way we were using these gifts, or if we decided to take that gift and sell it and take the money, she wouldn't like that. She wanted us to give the gift back to her. Now, would you call that a gift? That's not actually a gift, is it? If you're going to give me something and then you're going to tell me how to use it and if you don't like the way that I'm using it, you're going to take it back, that's not actually a gift. So what we're talking about here, when we talk about a gift, can you earn a gift? It wouldn't be a gift, would it? It'd be a wage that you've earned, so you can't earn a gift. So check this out. So if you can't earn the gift of salvation, listen to me, you can't unearn it. If you can't earn it, you can't unearn it. If you can't earn it with good works, you can't unearn it with, with, with bad works. It's a gift. 
You either accept it or reject it. You either have it or you don't. That's what's so amazing about the gift of, of salvation. And, I, and oftentimes the reason why our, our behavior isn't consistent with that is because we don't really believe and understand uh, the, the implications of this gift and how it works its way out in our life. And, uh, and I know that we get a number of people that come to Desert Reason. That's what I love about this church. It's, uh, we, we attract a lot of unchurched people. And uh, there are those that are in that area, maybe they're atheists, they're really kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. Is there really a God? Are we here by divine design? Or is this just big one accident, one big accident? And then there are those that kind of accepted the fact that there is a God, but they're exploring Christianity. And when they come to something like this, they'll, they might even say, and I've heard people say this, is that, you know, I'm, I'm more secular and I'm not like you religious types that you need acceptance, security, and significance. And I, it's not anything that we really need. I can understand you guys need that, but we don't need that. And I would beg to differ with you. We all need that. That's the next point in your notes. Everyone is trying to find a way to be righteous or justified. Everyone, this is for everyone, whether you're an atheist or Christian or non-Christian or whatever it is, this is something deep within all of us that we desperately need. Everyone needs to know that their life counts, has meaning, is worth something, and that they are worthy to be known and accepted. Uh, Ecclesiastes, it's a phenomenal book. How many have ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes? It's a, you'll spin your head around. It's all meaningless. I mean, that's one of the favorite uh, phrases throughout that book. And in that book, Chapter 3, verse 11, it says that eternity has been placed within our hearts. There's something within us that gets us out of bed in the morning because when we don't have something that gets us out of the bed in the morning, we don't get out of the bed in the morning. We're quite depressed. We're hopeless. We need to have a sense of meaning and purpose. Otherwise, we cannot exist. That's part of being created by God. Otherwise, we just kind of drift through life. It doesn't really matter whether you have a sense of hope or purpose or direction. It doesn't matter. But no, no, no. There's something about within all of us that we desperately need that. We need acceptance and security and significance. And consciously or subconsciously, we are all saying to ourselves, if you could hear the inner internal dialogue going on, if I have that, if I have that, my life will have meaning. This is the internal dialogue that's going on. Consciously or subconsciously, we're all saying to ourselves, if I have that, my life will have meaning. I'll have value. I'll feel significant and secure. And the that is the object of our worship. It is what you are ultimately living for. Now, the that could be any number of things. The that could be just wanting to get married. I know singles that are just so desperate to get married. If I could just get married, I know my life would have meaning. Uh, I want to often tell them to go talk to those that are married <laughs> to find out how much meaning they have in their life now that they're married. And then those that are married, and this is what I did for many years, I, I really jacked up my marriage. And, and, and I understood, you know, please hang in there with me just for a moment here. But... Uh, that book, it's a great book, Love Languages, but I took that book, The Love Languages, and, and took it from a good thing to an ultimate thing, and, and I had made the, that my wife's affirmation of me, and it, and it nearly wrecked our marriage because I put so much emphasis on that to where actually I should have been getting my affirmation primarily from God as opposed to my wife, and therefore when I wasn't getting it from her, I wasn't responding appropriately. 
So we can do it wanting to get married. We can do it in our marriage with our spouse. The that can be our children. The that can be our career. The that, if I have that, my life has meaning. It can be education. It can be money. It can be how much money I've got in the bank. It can be athletics. I mean, I see, you know, when you see these uh, athletic stars, they, they're depressed after career-ending injuries. Why is that? Because th that was their that. That was their meaning. That was their purpose. That's what justified life for them, and now it's gone. Or it can be beauty. That's what drives a lot of anorexia and bulimia in women. That's what drives the excessive working out of men sometimes and that workout program and all that, they've got to maintain that because that's the that. If I'm in good shape, then I have meaning and purpose in my life. And uh, it creates all sorts of problems. And, and if any of these are your justification for existence, then as, as it goes, as it goes, so goes your life. So if any of these are your justification for existence, uh, marriage, or, or wanting to get married, or children, career, education, money, athletics, beauty, I mean, and the list goes on. Everyone has a that, by the way, you know that, that, don't you? Everyone has a, has a that. But if that's, if, if any of these are the, your justification for existence, then as, as it goes, as the that goes, so goes your life. So let me ask you this, how goes your life? So if your life's not going so well, it's probably because the that is not doing so well. And by the way, it's just a matter of time. It might be going really well right now. But if your that is something in creation as opposed to the creator, you're falling short of the glory of God, and it's just a matter of time. Because that's temporal. You're building your life on something that's temporal and fleeting. And not only will it control you when you seek it, it will, it will disappoint you when you get it, because it'll never be enough. There's no job, there's no amount of money, there's no relationship that comes close to the satisfaction that only the Creator can give you. So even if you do get it, whatever the, that is, it still will not ever be enough. It'll still be disappointing. And if you lose it, you will be devastated. That's what drives depression and a sense of hopelessness is because we, we have misplaced our sense of justification for life. It's somewhere in creation as opposed to the Creator. See, you see how significant this is? See how important this is? Um, interesting story. There's the story of a man who wanted to, to make a difference through his writing, but his writing career wasn't going so well. Nobody was buying his stuff. And uh, as he was struggling, as, he, as a struggling writer, he was disillusioned, and so he began to reflect, and he asked himself the question, so, okay, okay, what, what, what am I here for? What am I here for? And this is what he said. He said, I... I I look at my two little daughters and my existence is justified. Now, what do you guys think about that kind of response? I, I, don't, I don't know his heart. It could be hyperbole, just saying he really loves his, his daughters. But do you know that's trouble? And we tend to do that with our lives. We tend to say, well, I'm not doing so well here. So we relocate our justification for a living, and it's still somewhere in creation. We're still falling short of the glory of God in doing that. I mean, I did that with 
I, I did that with my life, all the way from marriage to children to running triathlons until I blew out my knee. And, and I mean, I just I continue to do that in my life, even as a Christian. And so this is what he said. He said, I look at my two little daughters and my existence is justified. Now let me say something just as a parent and as a grandparent. I love that. But if your child's happiness and success is your justification for living, you know this. I didn't know this for years, but don't you know that that's, that's pretty selfish? That's, that's very selfish. It's very selfish because it's not really about your child. It's about, it's about you. See, if your child's happiness and success is, is a means to you validating your existence, then when, when something goes wrong with your child, and oh, by the way, something will go wrong with them. It's just a matter of time. Something will go wrong with them, and if it's a means to validating your existence, then when something goes wrong with them, then you'll have, you'll have a meltdown, and you'll be unable to adequately help your child. You guys tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's true with anything. That's true with your marriage. It's true with your career. Because if it's your source of validation, your validation just went out the window, and now what are you going to do? You're scrambling somehow. Your validation has to come from the Creator and Him alone, and then you'll have the wherewithal to be able to respond appropriately, not out of desperation and neediness, but out of a sense of completeness, because your righteousness and justification is in Him in Him alone, and you're operating out of an overflow, then you can become a resource for your children or those on your job or, or your family. You're not desperate for them to perform a certain way so you can feel better about yourself. That's, that's pretty critical. Now, so you can see, you can see why, why we need to be justified. Pretty critical issue here. And so here's the all-sufficient divine remedy. What does it mean to be justified? Oh, my goodness, this is rich. As we begin to unpack this, verse 24, the all-sufficient divine remedy, what does it mean to be justified? Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption is uh, it's the story that Darren shared about the Kenya missionaries who went and purchased the young girl out of sex slavery. That's what that word means. Redemption, it means deliverance, freeing captives at a cost. So we've been set free at the cost of, of Christ Jesus. Now, here's your next uh, couple fill in the blanks. Justification is more than forgiveness of sins. It's more than forgiveness of sins, more than pardon. Now, and, and for years I used to define it like this. You guys have heard me say it like this. What is justification? How would you define justification? Anybody? Just as if I never sinned before. And I used to define it like that, but it's actually much more. That's part of it, and that's, that's an important part. But it's infinitely, it's infinitely more than forgiveness of sins. Now, now imagine this. Everybody look up here just for a minute. Just imagine this, that Jesus were to walk through that door in flesh and blood. And we know that he's here in spirit. His Holy Spirit is here. We, we, we experienced him during our our time of song, and now as, as our time of studying God's word, you can have a sense of his presence here. But imagine he walked in here, and he came over, and he looked you right in the eyes, and maybe even grabbed you by the face, and he says, hey, I want, I want you to know more than anything that all of your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. 
How would that make you feel? It's pretty, pretty powerful. You feel like the woman caught in adultery, that they were about ready to throw stones at her, and he says, uh, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, my goodness, the weight. Now, some of us need to learn that part of justification. That's a part of justification is that, that there is no sin that I have committed or sin that has been committed against me that is a match for God's saving and sanctifying grace. He, he forgives us. He forgives us. Listen, he forgives you of all of your sins, past, present, future. That in itself is amazingly freeing, and that's what eliminates the guilt and shame in our lives. But, but it's got to go beyond this. Um, uh, forgiveness is, is basically a negative. You are now free from the liability of punishment for sins, but justification is a positive. By the way, let me just, before we get to the next part, there's kind of a cycle that I've seen a lot of Christians in. I've been raised in the church, been around the church, and I was even caught in this cycle for a little while where I would confess my sins, and now I need to really live hard because he's forgiven me of my sins, so I need to really prove myself that I really am a Christian, so I'm gonna do the best I can, and then over time I don't do so well, and then before long I'm kind of drifting away from God, only to find out that I really do need God, so I come running back to Him only to confess my sins again, and I do this crazy cycle of, of confession and trying harder, confession, trying harder, drifting away from Him, coming back, and confession and trying harder. It's much more than confession of sins. It's much more than having our sins forgiven, and there, there's, this, there, there's that pardon. It's this next statement. It's an immediate status change, giving you all the rights, privileges, and benefits that to come with this new status. I mean, instantaneously, you have this gift, and, and so you spend the rest of your life living out the implications of this. Here's some great verses. This is just a short list. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Galatians 2, 20, Paul's talking about identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's living out of that new identity. Second Peter 1.3. All of these are great memory verses, particularly this Second uh, Peter 1.3. You guys familiar with that? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through intimacy with him who has called us by his glory and goodness. It's amazing. So, look at the next uh, couple fill in the blanks. So forgiveness says you may go. I'm not going to punish you. Justification says, so when you're looking at combined with forgiveness, you may come. You are welcome to all my love and presence. Isn't that amazing? So it's not just a pardon from jail, it's more like getting an invitation to live in a palace with the king as your father, the king of the universe as your father. That's why I love that, that new song we've been singing, that sons and daughters song. That's us. That's you and I. So it's more than he just forgives us. He's inviting us into the palace. And he's our daddy who loves us and takes care of us as we live out the implications of that. And I know, I know we all from time to time feel and act like fatherless, futureless orphans, but nothing could be further from the truth. And so it's critical that we learn to understand what that means and how 
we begin to live that out. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God. So God is our king, and within his administration, it is not about meat or drink. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of rules, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, by the way, the rules are important, okay? Don't leave Desert Breeze this morning saying, Pastor Ray said the rules really aren't important at all. I can live however I want to live. No, no, that's not true. What I'm saying is you get off the cycle and, and you live in a way that would honor Him because you have the blessing in Him, and out of that, that begins to transform your life and makes all the difference in the world. You live out of the fact that it's not meat or drink, it's not a list of rules, it's not about a law righteousness, but it's a grace righteousness. I'm not only forgiven, but I've been brought into His home, and as I begin to live out the implications of that, yes, it will change me. In fact, Jesus summarized the whole law with two commands, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, if you're not doing that and growing in that, it's only because you're not living out the implications of Him as your Father, that you're living in His kingdom, and so you've got to get back to that because that's what transforms your life. And so that's all part of it. So it's not meat nor drink, but righteousness, all the acceptance, love, significance, security you'll ever need, righteousness, perfect before God, peace. By the way, that's how I know that I'm living in that righteousness because I have peace. So if, so if I have peace with God, I'm going to have the peace of God guarding my heart and mind. If you don't have the peace of God guarding your heart and mind, you're freaking out over your circumstances because you don't realize you've got peace with God. He's got you covered. He's going to take care of you. Does that make sense? See, there's that correlation between the two. So I, what do I do? I've got to get back to the fact that I've got peace with God. So I'm going to have peace so it's righteousness, peace, and joy. There's a joy, there's a reservoir of joy that's found in the grace of God that no person, thing, or circumstance can rob you of. And so when I begin to find that I don't have that joy, joy is really more about this buoyancy or this hopelessness in spite of the circumstances. And when I don't have that, it's because I'm not resting in, in what I have in Him, and I've turned it more into kind of this performance orientation. Okay, here's the next point on your notes. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are united with him and everything that he has ever done and deserves becomes yours and everything you have ever done and deserve has become his. I like what one theologian, how he put it, he says, we are in the sight of the Father. Now think about the Father, Creator, God, looking at you, His perspective of you in the sight. We are in the sight of the Father as is the very Son of God Himself. See, that's that, that righteousness that we have. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that's Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God. How many are familiar with the words that were spoken over Jesus at his baptism by the Father to the Son? What were those words? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the words that were spoken over Jesus from the Father over the Son at Jesus' baptism. Real quick, do that. Okay, what do you guys think? What was it? You are, my, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Those words, because of our faith in Jesus, are meant for us 
Those should be echoing around in our hearts and minds daily. You are my beloved daughter. I find great delight in you. Let me ask you this question. How much love does the Father have for his son, Jesus? Would you say quite a bit of love? Oh, my goodness. Look at the Scripture. Over and over again, you see that. You see amazing love that the Father has for the Son. How much delight does the Father find in his Son, Jesus? A lot. So that's how much he loves you and delights in you. I had someone come up to me uh, last night at our Saturday evening service, and this gal said that in the early days uh, before she became a Christian, understanding the love of God was revolutionary for her. She was a coke addict, strung out on drugs. Her life was a mess just this downward spiral, and it was almost as if God looked her in the eyes. She, had this, she said she had this experience that she began to understand, and the gospel was becoming more clear to her. It was almost as if Jesus looked her in the eyes and said, there is nothing that you have done that can make me love you any less and nothing that you could do to ever make me love you more than what I love you now. And it was revolutionary for her. And she never turned back as she began to live in the reality of that love and it transformed her life. Isn't that amazing? And so really this is what the, the basis of this love is Romans 4, 5 says God justifies the ungodly. Romans 5, 8 it says that while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's nothing in you or anything that you have done that is the basis for this justification. In fact, the more you live with this thunderous applause of God in your heart, the more contented, compassionate, and courageous you'll, you'll be in your life. The only person in the universe whose opinion counts looks at you and finds you more valuable than all the wealth of this world. That's pretty profound. This is all of the acceptance, security, and significance you've been looking for your whole life. This is the love your heart longs for. This is the only love and acceptance that, that will satisfy you completely. There's nothing in creation. Listen to me. There's not a job. There's not a, an, an amount of money in the bank. There's not a relationship. I mean, I, I see people jump from one relationship to the next relationship thinking they're going to find that. It's not going to be found there. It's not there. It's only in the creator. It's in him alone. You were created for God alone. And then out of that overflow of your life, then you do life. And it's the best way to live our lives. Some people will immediately say, and I've kind of addressed that a little bit, but if I, if I believe that I was, I was not saved by what I do, by, by living a good life, if I had no fear of punishment, then I would lose my incentive to live a good life. Have you ever heard that before? Then what's, what's the incentive for living a good life? Let me just say this, that if, if you live a good life motivated out of fear of punishment or even pride, hey, look at me, by definition, that isn't actually a good life, Okay. Because by definition, that's still a life really about you. So that when you're living a good life, when you feed the poor, it's not really about the poor, it's about you. It's more about appeasement. It's about trying to earn somehow some right standing with God. Or it's out of fear, hey, everybody, look what a good person I am. See, by definition, that's not actually truly a good life. Living a good life motivated out of fear, fear of punishment is selfish. It's all about you. But living a good life motivated out of 
out of grace is unselfish. It takes you out of yourself because of all that he's done for me. Of course I'm going to help people. Of course I'm going to minister to others because it's all about God. Like I said, it's the difference between appeasing God and pleasing God. Appeasement is more I obey, therefore I've got his blessing. But pleasing God is I've got his blessing, therefore I obey. I'm almost finished. Let me just elaborate on that just a, a tad more because when you work for someone, you put them in, in your debt, you relate to them as one who owes you. So that's why it's not a works righteousness because then God would owe us. But it's grace righteousness. By the way, you can never put God in your debt. In fact, it says in Romans eleven thirty five, who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid. That's the reason why the whole health and wealth gospel is, is a fallacy. That somehow if I do these things, then God owes me. God doesn't owe us anything. Your very breath, your very heartbeat is by the grace of God. Your very existence is all by his grace. It's called common grace. And then he gives us a saving grace. I think when we get to heaven, we're just going to be so overwhelmed. We're just going to go, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. That is incredible. And so... God is concerned not just with what we do, but why we do what we do. And the only pure motive is a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of who, who Jesus is. So how do we receive this justification? Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's your next couple, fill in the blanks. The wonder of the cross is that it satisfies both the justice of God that aspect of his nature that demands punishment for sin. So God is a just God. I mean, I've heard people say, well, why don't God just forgive us? Because he's a just God. There has to be payment for sin. How many ever watch those uh, murder mysteries on TV, True Life? And you, from time to time, you'll see somebody that almost seems as though they get off with murder. Anybody kind of struggle with that? It's like, well, I think that guy actually got away with murder. Why do we struggle with that? Because it's unjust. It's unjust. God is a just God. So there's that aspect of his nature that demands punishment for sin. That's what you see when you look at the cross and the love of God, that aspect of his nature that seeks our justification. Listen to what Max Lucado said in The Grip of Grace. Great quote. He says, what a God. Ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. God's holiness is honored. Our sin is punished, and we are redeemed. God does what we cannot do, so we can be what we dare not dream. Perfect before God. Now, we go back to the, the word propitiation, verse 25. So this is really what that means. The Lord pays the debt to justice himself by his blood. That's why that word is so, so profound, so stunningly beautiful. Verses 27 through 28. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works. No, by law of works, no, but by the law of faith. 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It's not by, based on your performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus. It's what he did for us, and we enter into it by faith. So this is what I must do. I must repent. And so I, I do that as a, as a point in my life where I make a decision, but I do this throughout my life. I must repent of my false righteousness, justification, and transfer my trust from that to what Jesus has done for me. So how do I identify my false righteousness? I not only ask for my him to forgive me of my sins, but also my false righteousness, where I'm trying to get my sense of justification. How do I identify that? This is how you identify your false righteousness. What do I boast in more than the cross? What are you boasting in? You boast in something. If I were to look at your conversations on Facebook, <laughs> what are you posting? How about Instagram? What are you tweeting on Twitter? What do you boast about? Where does your mind go when it is free to go when nothing is demanding your immediate attention? What do you dream about in your spare time? See, that will begin to identify what you boast in. Let me end with this story. I heard this story a number of years ago. There was a very beautiful woman who found herself in a cycle of abusive relationships with men the relationship always started off uh, good, but eventually they always uh, ended in some form uh, of abuse. She couldn't say no to men because she was so needy. By the way, look up here just for a minute. Those things you can't say no to, that's probably what you're boasting in. That's your, your faults, uh, justification, or righteousness. We can't say no maybe to career advancement, no to working out, no to relationship of some sort. See, in, in some cases, she let these men beat her and exploit her. Why? Because over the years, she had felt in her heart, as long as I have a man loving me, then I'm worth something. It was her performance-confirming resume. It was her validation for life. It was her righteousness. It was her acceptance, security. It was her significance. But when she began to understand the gospel, and it took some time as the gospel went from just this concept to a reality deep in her heart, she said, I started looking at men and I started to say, as I would look at men under my breath, of course, maybe you're the guy for me, maybe I'll marry you, that's fine, but I want you to know something. You are not my life. Christ is my life. You're not my identity. I don't need your love to know I am somebody. She was saying that under her breath. What was she doing? She was boasting in the cross. She was repenting of her false righteousness, justification, and transferring her trust from that to what Jesus had done for her, freeing her to make wise choices with men. Now, why share such an extreme story? Because this is every one of us. That's us. To a greater or lesser degree, with just different ways of validating our existence other than Christ. That's all of us. All of us fall short of the glory of God. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's confess. If you were really living in the reality of this righteousness, this justification that is ours through Christ, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you be less stressed? Wouldn't you be less anxious? Wouldn't you be less driven? Less defensive, less angry, less bitter, less depressed, less dejected, disillusioned about life? Yes, of course you would. 
Won't you admit it? Won't you admit it that in many cases, though you may be a Christian, your marriage is more than just a marriage. It's your validation for life. Your children is more than just your children. It's your validation for life. Your, your wealth, your career, your beauty, your physical fitness. It's more than just that. It's your justification. It's your righteousness. It's your performance-confirming resume. You want to change? I do. I want to continue to let Christ change me. If you want to change, how do you change? You change what you worship. You change what you boast in. You boast in the cross. And you learn how to boast in the cross. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6, 14. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. And then uh, we're going to listen to a song and just really reflect and take just a few moments this morning just absorbing this amazing love that God has for us. Father God, all of us have sinned and fall short of your glory. And this is the universal human dilemma, the root cause of all of our problems, but the all-sufficient divine remedy is that we are justified by your grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is breathtaking. That is amazing. Teach us how to daily repent of our false righteousness, our false justification, and transfer our trust from whatever it may be to what Jesus, our Savior, has done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom his wounds have paid my ransom Thank you, God. What an amazingly uh, healing song that is May we, may we learn how to live in the reality of the depth, the width, the length, and the height of that amazing love that goes beyond our understanding. And may we never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ through whom the world is crucified to me, to us, and us to this world. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Love you guys.